Welcome, everybody, to Core Voices. Thank you for being here with us week in, week out, for our space of consciousness to talk about topics that are important, that might be tabooed, that might be difficult or uncomfortable. We want to take away that judgment. We want you to feel safe in this space to talk about things that are necessary. If there's questions you've got, like I said, pop them into the comments, but know that this is your space. Today, we're going to have a very important conversation with a beautiful sister, Michelle Sahini. She co-found From Privilege to Progress, which is a national movement to desegregate the public conversation about racism. After their viral video of Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson, their unjust arrest at a Philadelphia Starbucks captured international attention. And through the hashtag show up movement, they continue the conversation which started that day. A commitment to learning together as a community, speaking up in our everyday lives and amplifying the voices of people of color. So please join me in welcoming the beautiful Michelle. You're so sweet. Hi, <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to have this conversation. It's long overdue. Absolutely. I think it's about time our communities came together and stood together as allies. Absolutely. I mean, what's been going on since the murder of George Floyd? We, we just saw, we are witnessing right now the biggest demonstration for civil rights movement in world history. Wow. wow. I mean, before I got to see, I'm, I'm already getting emotional again because that is so, um, I've never seen this before. I've never, ever, ever seen this before. Um, just the solidarity. There were, there were protests in 18 other countries outside of America, 18 countries. Wow. And it just like it just warms my heart and it just makes me so um, hopeful for the future. Yes, yes. I'm glad that you're feeling hope. Um, I want to check in with you. I want to know how you are. This week I've been a bit, um, I'll be honest, I've been a bit overwhelmed. I haven't slept too much because there's so much to do. There's so much to talk about. There's so many conversations to have. You know, I'm trying to respond to DMs and emails and, um, but it's good because people are ready to have the conversation. So if I only can sleep five hours a night because I need to talk to people that, that need guidance, um, I, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm, I'm hopeful. I am, um, I believe in an afterlife. So I hope that George Floyd is somehow, somehow aware of what is going on right now. You know, I just really, 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 really hope that he can see what is happening. You know, we don't, we don't, want, we don't want to have a martyr, but I mean, he literally changed the world. Yeah. And so I'm just praying that um, somewhere, somehow he's feeling that. It's, it's incredible how the world is coming together. And this is what I want our space today to try to evoke is more of that allyship and togetherness. Um, and there's a lot of unlearning and re-educating to be done. So I hope that today you'll be able to help us with some of that. 
yeah, I'm here to answer any questions anyone has. I would do the absolute best that I can. Um, I don't know everything, so I'm also learning too. It's it's interesting you say that because um, this unlearning and learning is not just for white people. It's not just for the people that are doing these crimes against us. It's for us too. Mm -hmm. um, because if, I mean, even in this country, you know, I, my parents are from Ghana, so I'm first generation Ghanaian American and I didn't know anything about systemic oppression. I didn't know anything about systemic racism. I had to go out of my way to educate myself about those things. Right. So it's also for us to educate ourselves about what is going on. Um, and especially as black and brown people, we can see how our struggles are intertwined when we start educating ourselves, not just about our oppression, but about others' oppressions and see how, oh, you know what? There's seems to be like a playbook that colonizers take and kind of you know test out their their plans on people that look like me and you around around the globe mm -hmm. um and so if we can start to understand that we will see why why it's necessary for us to be in solidarity with one another absolutely um for a lot of the viewers who are going to be meeting you for the first time would you be kind enough to share with us the incident that took place at the starbucks in philadelphia that kind of started your journey in this space of activism sure so oh that day it was april 12th 2018 and it's interesting because that specific starbucks location i would always avoid it i would i would walk an additional three or four blocks to a different starbucks deeper in the city that was more diverse wow. so philadelphia is actually a very diverse city it's actually uh, a majority black city but that's area in Philadelphia where that Starbucks is, is very, it's very white. It's very segregated on purpose, redlining, whatnot. Mm. So I would purposely not, not, not go to that location. For some reason this day, the universe told me go to this Starbucks that day. I don't know why I had lived in Philly for five years and I'd only been there once. Wow. Which is just, it makes me believe and know that it wasn't an accident that I, mm there so I walk in and again there's only one other black person in there there was there was an Indian man I think it was just like us three <laughs> like us three brown people in the whole Starbucks so I said whatever I'm already here just sit down and a couple minutes later um no about a, a, an hour later I saw two black men walk in the Starbucks and I was like oh you know there's more of us now so I was just watching them and I was watching them to be honest with you, I thought the one was really cute. So I just kept like watching him. He's with the green jacket and the beard. Oh my God, he was adorable. Um, so I was just watching them and I saw them go up to the barista and they said, can we use the bathroom? And she said, no, it's for paying customers only. And that was it. And they sat down. That was it. I saw her walk away and she was mouthing something to herself. And I didn't know, I couldn't hear her. She was just, you know, her lips were moving. And my gut, I immediately thought to myself, I think she just said something racist. I don't know why I thought that. I don't, I don't know. I have no clue, but that's what I felt. But in those moments that we have those reactions, it's important that you check yourself. So I saw her saying something to herself. I thought she was saying something racist, um, but I checked myself and I said, Michelle, you don't know what she said. Now you're being prejudiced. So you need to go back and you need to do your work and not make any more uh, assumptions well within about five minutes the cop showed up and i thought to myself that's well, weird yeah because i had been there for 45 minutes and nothing had happened 
um, it just didn't make sense to me why why they were there. So I was close enough to the Starbucks counter um, that I actually heard her lie, the, the, the barista. I heard her say, those two guys in the corner are refusing to leave. What? And my first thought was, I think I was right. She probably did say something racist because that is not true. You never asked them to leave. There was no reason to ask them to leave because it has been quiet for the whole hour I had been there. Right. And what made me really nervous was that there was no question. There was no investigation. They didn't ask any follow-up questions. They just said, oh, okay. And I look over at the two guys who were in the corner and they looked at me. I looked at them. I looked at the cops. I looked back at them. They looked at the cops and we were all like, the, we were like, what is happening? You know, because when you're a black person and police comes into the space, your tension goes up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I saw them, they just beelined for these guys immediately. And I instantly started sweating. I instantly started trembling because I thought to myself, I cannot see an act of police brutality in front of in front of my eyes. I cannot see it. Mm. So I stood up and if you've ever had a panic attack, <laughs> you feel like you're about to do something, but you're not sure what you're gonna do. That was my feeling. I said, okay, I know I'm gonna do something, but what am I gonna do? <laughs> because right. they're arresting two black people for essentially not buying a coffee. Right, the because she lied. Because she lied. And I'm a black person, so I'm like, well, if I do something now, I could turn attention on me. And they could make up any reason that they wanted to to also arrest me because th- what they're arresting them for is insanity. Yeah, oh my God. The white guy sitting next to me, he had been there for almost the same time I had been, actually longer than me. He never, he never bought a coffee. I saw a white girl come in mid-jog, use the bathroom, and leave. And I remember thinking to myself... I wonder if she works here, that she knows the code to get in the bathroom. I wonder if she's here so often that they just know her and she has has the code because this is not making any sense to me. So I get up, I'm scared, I'm trembling. I start yelling in the Starbucks. I'm yelling, I'm like, oh my God, this is insanity. Like they're really, you know, and some girl was like, what's happening? And I said, they're being arrested for not buying a coffee when half of you people in here don't have coffees. So the barista called the police, lied to the police that these two gentlemen were refusing to leave and literally put their lives in danger. Eight cops showed up. Eight. Eight cops arrested two black guys for essentially not buying coffee. So I walk up to the cop. I didn't care at this point. I said, this is... When I realized that they were going to follow through with it, I was Mm -hmm. like... I can't not do anything. So their friend showed up who happened to be a white man, a white Jewish man. He he walked in and he said, how is this not obviously racial discrimination happening right in front of us? So him and I were yelling and I went up to the cop and I said, why are you doing this? And, yeah. he, told, and he told me to go ask the barista. Excuse me, which I thought was a very interesting response. Like, response. I'm like, oh, is that how this works now? Can I just call 911 whenever I feel like it and have you remove people from my space? I, I, that doesn't work for us, um, which is just absurd. So I said, okay, I, I will go confront her. So I walked up to her and I said, why'd you call the cops? Just uh-huh. via her face and her chest instantly just flushed red. She was just red. And she goes, um, I really can't say in this very like damsel in distress type of voice as if she's innocent, like as, as if there was something that I didn't see. Right. And I said, oh, I can say, I said, I watched the whole thing happen. I said, did you feel like your life was in danger? 
and she ignored me and she like walked down the aisle. So I asked her again, I said, did you feel like your life was in danger? And she ignored me. I wasn't saying it this calmly. I was very loud. <laughs> and she continued to ignore me. So I called her a coward. I mm -hmm. screamed at her. There were some explicits, but I screamed at her that she was a coward. And I walk back to my table and I'm packing up all my stuff. And I look up and there's all these white women just staring at me. I see a white girl in the corner. Her lip is quivering. She's about to cry. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't watch her cry because if she loses it, I'm going to lose it. There's another white girl next to me who's, who is watching me pick up my stuff. And I see her start to pick up her stuff too. I think people were starting to get it. And my now partner in From Privilege to Progress was there that day. I didn't know her, but we locked eyes from across the Starbucks. She stood up and she said something along the lines of, I come here all the time. I was just here the other day for hours. No one ever asks me to leave and you know why. Wow. Because she's a white, she's a white woman. So we all walked out. They put these guys in handcuffs. I talked to the cops again, who continued to pretty pretty much ignore me. Um, it went viral. I didn't have a Facebook at the time or Twitter. I had no clue that it went viral for days until friends were texting me saying, "I think I hear your voice in this video. Is that you?" Like, and other friends that I told about the video, they said, M "Michelle, this is like." It, this is good. This is getting huge. You need to say something. But I didn't really feel like being like, well, it was me. But at the same time, I was watching this white woman be centered in the media. They were completely centering her. Like, oh, this white woman did this, did this great thing. And she said, the white savior. The white savior. She said, wow. She said, oh. all I, she said, all I did was share the video. She said, it was actually a black woman that told us what, what, what was going on. Why don't we believe people of color when they tell us their stories, but you immediately believe me? So we realized that while we had the world's attention um, that was showing what racism actually looked like in 2018, mm -hmm. we said we need to continue to have this conversation. We need to create some kind of something to show people what racism looks like and for them to use their privilege in whatever way that they can. And that's how it started a couple of days later. She found me, she reached out to me and said, I need you. People keep asking me to speak, but you're the one whose voice needs to be heard. So. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I'm just, I'm stunned at everything that you said. I've just literally been gobsmacked the whole time. <laughs> Firstly, I can't believe that this, that she lied. Flat out. And you were checking yourself. You were like, hang on, maybe I'm judging her. And she wasn't muttering racist slurs under her breath. But in fact, your gut was right. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm hurt at the fact that she doesn't realize. It's, it's like the video now of the Karen in the park, right? Yeah. Who just lied straight out to the police on the phone. Yep not knowing that when she's calling the police on a black man, she's literally giving him a death sentence. I think she did know. I she think she knew. You know, why? you know why? I think she knew because oh. she specifically said to him, I'm going to tell the cops an African-American man is, is, is harassing me. She said that because she knew how African-American men are viewed in America. She knew that she was using her whiteness as a weapon. And when you and when you watch that video, she increasingly gets dramatic like, over nothing. Like she's literally acting. She should be an actress. She should go to Hollywood and she should <laughs> sign up for a show because she is an actress. Um, I think she knew what could have happened. 
especially Central Park in, in New York is a very, that's like, to call the cops on a black guy in Central Park is even um, extra, um, what's the word? I want to say extra evil, considering that, um, I don't know if, you, if you've heard of the, the Central Park Five. No, what is that? The Central Park Five um, were a group of five young teenage black boys who were accused of raping a woman in the park. Um, they literally just went into a neighborhood and, find, and found five random boys who happened to have been in the park that day and accused them with raping this woman. They lost their 20s. I don't, I don't remember how long that they were in jail, but these kids were like 15, 16, 17 years old, five random black boys. There was only one man that raped her. And for some reason she was like, yes, it was. And, and when, the, when the prosecutors were like, was it these five? She was like, yeah. Five, five innocent boys went to jail. Um, That's crazy. And it specifically happened in Central Park in New York. So that's why I think that she was very aware of what she was doing. Very mm -hmm. aware. You think that's the same for the barista as well? Well, um, the president CEO of Starbucks asked her flat out. He said, would you have called the cops if they were white? And she said, probably not. So she also knew on some level that she was racist because she admitted that. She said, no, I probably wouldn't have called the cops, but they hadn't done anything. So it's like, I don't know if they understand how deep their racism actually goes because the woman in Central Park, she says, I'm not racist. She said, I'm not racist. She doesn't realize, she just doesn't realize it. Amy, Amy Cooper, you're racist. Wow. Wow. I'm... <sighs> I don't even know what to say, but that's, it makes me feel sick to my stomach to, and, yeah. Oh man. Just to know that people would do that deliberately, like just the viciousness behind it, the anger and. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so, so someone just commented, they, 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 yes, they made a movie about it. Um, I think it's a very short series on Netflix called the central park five. I did not watch it because I had read the story. I knew what happened. Actually, our now current president actually took out a full page ad during that time um, in, a, in a very popular magazine in New York and called for their execution. He called for them to be executed. These teenage boys, even after DNA evidence came out that they were innocent, the men are freed now. They're no longer in jail. But after it came to light that they were innocent, our president, Donald Trump, still was calling for their execution. You know, you know that they're innocent now, and you're and you're still saying we should so kill them. You know, it's yeah. I have no words for your president. Oh my gosh, that's no word. He's oh, okay. Let's not get started on him yeah. because that's a whole other can of worms. But yeah, but he was part of that. He he was a he was an integral part of that. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's aiding a lot of everything that's going on at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but there's only so much that politics can do against an uprising of the community, right? And seeing how people are gathering across the world in solidarity, I think that speaks volumes, right? People Absolutely. care. And, Absolutely. Oh, it's, it's really just making me very, like, there's a lot of emotions coming up at the moment, a lot of anger and... Um, um, 
I think it's important to know how to direct that because we all might feel that way when there's so much information to be consumed that's being thrown at us in social media and on the news and it's it's distorted most of it is not it's not all honest um and I want to come to that my the thing that I want to start with is to ask you what is the difference between somebody saying all lives matter versus black lives matter well, here in America, when people respond with all lives matter, it's usually um, a defense mechanism to have to acknowledge the ways in which black and brown people are treated. Because if you acknowledge that you know what's happening to them and you're not doing anything about it, then you start feeling guilty. Then you start feeling like, oh, wow, I literally have done nothing towards this cause. Um, you may even have feelings of, of uh, realizing that you you have some racism within yourself and you don't want to admit it. So it's much easier just to say, well, no, 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 all lives matter. Because if you say black lives matter, you have to realize that you are complicit in a system that doesn't value black lives. Um, some agent has said, imagine that your child passes away and you're at the funeral and you're giving a eulogy talking about how special your child, your child was. And someone comes up to the podium, grabs the mic and says, well, all children are special. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Like, that's just insane. Or, you know, if I saw another video that was um, uh, an example of a house that was on fire on on, on a street, of a, a row of houses, and, and someone said, you know, this house matters. We need to save this house. And other people on the street say, well, all houses matter. Right. And, and the person that's burning, <laughs> we need to save the house that's actually on fire. And they just respond with, well all houses matter. Like, it's just, it's like, doesn't, it's not, um, people just need to understand the reason that we say black lives matter are be is because black lives have not been treated like they matter. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I think they're the ones that are being singled out at the moment, the ones that are most at risk and right. suffering the results of police brutality. Right. Um, sure. And for me, I, I stand with Black Lives Matter because that's the need of this moment. That's where we need to have our strength and solidarity to voice our outrage. Mm -hmm. That this is this is not okay. Not in the 21st century. Not on the land of America or on any land for that matter. This this shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand that difference because a lot of people they don't get why is there a movement behind black lives if everybody's life is of value? But as you said, not everybody's life is at risk. Yep. The police being called on a white man isn't the same as the police being called on a black man. It's not, but you know what's really interesting? There are a lot of white people that are protesting with us right now who are experiencing some police brutality. And I don't think that these people went out there and anticipated being met with that because they've never experienced that before in their entire lives. There were just some cops in Buffalo, New York, who were suspended. And I think there's going to be charges placed against them because they pushed down an old white man, a 75-year-old white man. Um, he didn't have any weapons on him. He was, I mean, how could a, I mean, he looked like a very skinny man, 75. And they pushed him and he fell on the concrete and his head split open and he started bleeding. Oh my gosh. People are being met with tear gas. I saw a picture of a white man whose eye literally exploded when a cop shot, shot a rubber bullet at him. What? And he, he was like, I'm going to be fine, but I'm probably going to lose my eye. 
these things, the like, so I want white people to understand that, not just white people, all people to understand. I want all people to understand that when you are silent, the silence is what allows the cops to continue. So all the white protesters that are out right now protesting for Black Lives Matter, it's like they've broken that unspoken that that unspoken truce between them and the police. The police said, "We will protect you as long as you stay silent about the things that we do." Mm-hmm. And as soon as they spoke out and said, "Well, we don't want you to kill Black Lives anymore," they said, "Well, now you're also the enemy. So I'm going to run you over with my car, or I'm going to." throw tear gas at you, or I'm going to shoot you with a rubber pellet, or I'm going to shove an old man down on the ground and watch his head bleed and just keep walking. I want white people to understand that you are just experiencing a little teeny, itty bitty, teeny tiny bit of what the black experience has been in this country for over 400 years. And I really hope this wakes them up to realize that the only reason this continued is because they had been silent up until this point. And the fact that they're being met with such violence should also be a wake-up call to them. The fact that the police are going to hurt you just because you want to hold them accountable for their racism. They're mm-hmm. saying, no, we want to keep doing whatever it is we want to do. Because just a few weeks ago in this country, I don't know if you heard, but just a few weeks ago in this country, there were groups of white men with AK-47s and guns pro- protesting all over the country for businesses to be opened back up during COVID so that, so that they could get their hair cut and go to the nail salon. What? I did not know about this. Girl, what? look at it. It was, it happened 25 minutes for me. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. You, you walk into a government building with an AK-47 screaming in cops' faces and they weren't met with the same violence that protesters are being met with right now who don't have any weapons on them. Wow. That goes to show. I mean, if that's not clear, you know, from people here, I I don't I don't know what is. I don't know what is. <sighs> oh my God. And yeah, I and I know a lot of them were protesting because they wanted the economy to open back up because they needed money. But the people that were protesting with, with signs that said, I need a haircut, that goes back to that privilege mentality and ownership mentality that people need to go to work for you. If you're saying you want a haircut, that means you want someone else to potentially risk their life of getting COVID so they can cut your hair. Mm. And this was an acceptable protest that cops didn't feel the need to shut down. But when you say stop killing us, they're like, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. We're, we, we, we want to continue to do this. Mm-hmm. It's, wow. it's, Can you help us to understand what privilege is? Because I think that's something that people don't get either. Privilege is, that's a tricky word. It's a triggering word for a lot of people. Um, we all have a sense of, we all have privilege somewhere, somehow in our lives. Being born in this world should give you automatic privilege to live a happy, healthy, long, safe, peaceful life. But through systemic racism and systemic oppression, um, different people, unfortunately, are born into different levels of privilege. That, I, I, I always say, um, you know, I try to find my privilege. Like for instance, in the Starbucks that day, I had privilege because I was not the one being arrested. That was privilege in that moment. Um, I know that even 
even as a dark-skinned woman, I still have privilege to some degree in this country because I'm African. Mm. And white people are much more comfortable with Africans than they are Black Americans. I understand that. I grew up with that. Um, people basically told me that. I understood it. I tested it. Like, if, a white per- if I was in a room with a white person and they were, like, overlooking me, not wanting to talk to me, make eye contact, clearly being racist, if I would, I would test it and I would mention that I was African and suddenly they were like oh that's interesting and all of a sudden I was like wow this is really fascinating that you didn't care about me at all until I was interesting or exotic so even in those moments I realized you know and even you know the the way that I speak because I grew up around white people um I'm allowed into their institutions and universities to talk about racism that's a privilege that I have um so you need to find any area of your life that you have privilege and use that in whatever way you can for progress, which is why it's so important that um, we find those privileges together. Because if we are, if we all come together, that privilege is huge. The, 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 sorry. Um, that's why it's so important to come together. Yeah. It's so important for us together because when we come together, then we have a bigger collective privilege that we can use to demand change. So, you know, white people have, I mean, they have immense white privilege in this country, Um, you know, Starbucks, the protests, I mean, you name it. Um, But even amongst us, we can find ways that we have privilege, whether it's in our community, in our friend group, in our family, um, um, education status. There are ways that you can find your privilege. And why did you call your movement from privilege to progress? We were very specific about using the word privilege because Melissa has white skin privilege. Mm-hmm. So when she shared the video, it showed up on people's timelines that they wouldn't normally see. So it's interesting because people are saying, like, oh, I don't see racism. I think really, you know, racism is the thing of the past. And it's only because they just aren't seeing the stories that are happening to us. So, excuse me, in this country, we actually still live quite in, in, in segregated cities and neighborhoods and towns. And our social media is very similar. There was a study done a few years ago that said if you're white, it's likely that your social media network is 91% white. If you're black or brown, it's likely 88% black and brown, which means our stories aren't crossing over. Stories that have happened to us literally don't even show up on their timelines. What? Literally, yes. H- how? Because most of the people that they connect with and are friends with are also white. Okay. And white people only share about race-related things 8% of the time that they're posting. That's it. Wow. So we specifically ask people to share on social media to desegregate the conversation about race because we talk about race all the time amongst black and brown people. Right. Expectations need to be happening on all platforms, especially on white people's timelines. They need to be discussing this because racism is not a black or brown problem. It's a white problem. We are not doing it to ourselves. We are not systemically oppressing ourselves. We're not systemically being racist against ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's being done by others. It's crucial that they are part of the conversation and the solution. So I I have a question for you that 
and my my answer to this question is different. That's why I'm I'm, I'm going to ask you this. But can brown people be racist? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, um, I have I have come across. Um, I have a lot of Arab friends here in in Pennsylvania, but I've come across some Arabs who were racist, um, which I was shocked about. I didn't realize that that was a thing. I think to myself, you know, we both live in a world that's a white supremacist world. So why why would you discriminate against me because I'm black? Like it, it I didn't understand it for for years, but. Um, I think it literally all stems from white supremacy. White supremacy has been trying to take over the world for hundreds of years mm -hmm. and not just controlling our bodies, it controls our minds mm -hmm. to start to sympathize and align with your oppressor. Right. I, you know, there, there were, there were slaves in, in, in America and people who would tell on other slaves who were, um, crafting a revolt. Why would you do that? Why they're they're fighting for you too? But you, it's that what's that what's that term called? Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Where when you when you start to believe what the oppressor is saying that white is better, light is better, you start to even within your own communities look at each other and be like, well, we've been taught for four hundred years that dark is bad. So if I'm lighter, that must mean that I'm better. Yeah. And also, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's in India. I know it's in Asia. My, my one of my best friends is Vietnamese. She gets very, very dark in the summer. Her parents hate that she gets so dark. Um, it's it's you know you, you you go to Africa, you see skin bleaching cream. Yes. Oh my God, we have that in India too. It's called it's uh, it's a different type, but it has bleach within it. It's called Fair and Lovely. That's the name of the. We have that too. Yeah, you have fair that. Yes. You fair and lovely, apparently. Exactly. exactly. And, so you start um, to believe it. So for me, the reason that I ask this question is because um, I've experienced and I've seen firsthand racism in the brown community towards the black community, where it, they project as if white are the allies and brown is the enemy. And I didn't understand this. I saw this in my father as a child. So I grew up in um, like not a great um, environment in the middle of England, in the West Midlands, um, mm -hmm. where it was predominantly white people. And we were one of the very few brown families in that area. Um, and we were the cliche with the corner shop and all the rest of it. So, you know, my dad just set us up for the most amount of racism that we could handle mm -hmm. as kids in school, outside of school. It was constant. Um, so that became normal. But what I didn't understand, like for me, when the Fresh Prince started coming on TV, it yeah. was like, it was amazing. It was like a revolution. There was something great on the TV that had color. Yes. And me and my brothers loved it. But my dad hated us watching black programs. He would come home and he would yell at us and he would switch off the TV or change the channel. And we were not allowed to watch it in front of my dad. And I never understood what it was and what why he felt that way. But it wasn't just him. I, I can talk about my dad because that's a firsthand experience, but mm -hmm. it goes far beyond that. Um, within the Indian community, there's something called the caste system. Mm -hmm. For me, that's no different to racism. 
when you yep. treat somebody different because of the color of their skin you are a racist yes when you treat somebody different because of their economical status for me that falls under racism and casteism and racism is the same thing for me people um who come from the lower caste families they they are subject to so much violence in india still to this day to this day and it's just because the brown community is not stepping up to say that hey we're racist because they think how can we be racist when we've got color in our skin so and i'm calling it out right now <laughs> it's it's because there's racism against anyone that's not white in this in this world but this world is very right now it's very specifically anti-black mm. It's, it, it may be racist towards everybody, but it, it's very specifically anti-black, which is why you can have black, you can have brown people who also are anti-black because the world is actually anti-black. It's not just white supremacists, it's anti-black. There are a lot of people in the Asian community who are, who are racist, who hate us. I experienced it firsthand in Philly. Um, um, by an Asian man. I'm again. My my one of my best friends admitted to me. She goes, you know, my parents likely like you only because you're you know because you're my friends. But if you were a black male that I was trying to date, that would be an, an, an absolute no. And I'm like, what? How? I don't understand how. But it took me a long, a long time to realize that the world's actually it's not just a white supremacist world, but it is a very anti-black world. Wow. I think we need to just take a moment to take that in because that's true. And it comes from so many layers and so many hundred years of oppression and, and white supremacy that now has led us to that point. Mm -hmm. What can we do to check ourselves? Like those of us that don't think we're complicit to that, um, how can we check ourselves? Well, um, you know, there's this saying going around that's, um, you know, it's it's not enough to be not racist. You need to be actively anti-racist. So that's why our first step to anything and everything is educate yourself. Educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourself about what racism looks like today. Um, try and find your biases. Like, I mean, just really sit and think about what you think about black people. Maybe take a, you know, maybe take a piece of paper and a pen and ask yourself, what do I think about black people? And start to write it down. And you might be really shocked about what comes out on that piece of paper. And I tell people, you know what, to be honest with you, I it's not your fault. You were you have you were born into a world that gives you messages on purpose, strategically. Um, there's even a divide that we're trying to 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 mend in between the diaspora, specifically black Americans and Africans on the continent because we've been given messages about each other that make us see each other as if we're different somehow. Mm. Um, so even within the black community, we have to do education. I, I, I mean, Africans on the continent, you need to be educating yourself about what's about systemic, uh, systemic oppression and racism because sometimes they look at black Americans and they say, what's going on over there? But they have no idea because they don't know. They don't know how systemic racism manifests and what it looks like. Um, it's just so important to, 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 to do that work and to, to be, be honest with yourself, be radically honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm doing a conversation later this week with, um, 
a woman and she accidentally said the n-word on one of her instagram lives as she was singing a song a white woman she was um um the bachelorette i don't, I don't know if you guys watch that show in in london but it's, we have this show called the Bachelorette. i don't actually watch it to be honest with you but um <laughs> she said the n-word and we're gonna have a conversation about it and she said you know if that word was it was able to leave my lips what did i allow to slip into my heart mm. that to me was huge 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 we don't want to believe that we have these biases but we all have them i mean i have bi racial biases if i see a white guy walking down the street who's who's bald and has tattoos i get scared that he might be in the kkk i get worried i get scared uh, but that's a racial bias that I have towards white bald men with tattoos. Um, and if you think that you're not, I just want to just give you a, a frame of reference on how deep it goes. One, studies have shown that by age three or four, children understand that it's better to be white. By age three or four, even if no one flat out tells them that, the messages that, they're, that, that, that they are receiving from the world, from media, whatever, they understand by age four, it's better to be white. Wow. That means that it's necessary for you to be actively educating yourself about these things because those messages will seep into your subconscious whether you want them to or not. I grew up similar like you, um, first generation African, grew up in a white town. I didn't learn any black history. Literally, I learned about three black people, Rosa Parks, MLK, and Jackie Robinson, as if they were like the only three black people to ever exist before me. I was like, that's it, there's no other ones. Um, so we didn't learn about systemic racism. We didn't, we weren't taught anything. And at the same time that I wasn't being educated about, about, about African and African-Americans, I was experiencing the racism at the same time. So to try and survive that environment, I started to try to separate myself from being black American because I knew what white people thought about us and I didn't want it to apply to me. So I started to absorb the racist stereotypes about black Americans, even though I'm black. It was a complete mm -hmm. mind. Like a few years ago, it would have been hard for me to just say that to you because I was so ashamed that I was able to have racist thoughts towards black Americans, but I did because I didn't want to accept that that could potentially be impacted by me. And it made me feel better to say, oh, no, 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 I'm African. Because remember what I told you before, the people treated me better when they found out that I was African. So I thought that that literally did make me better hmm. um, until I experienced police um, racism. And then I was like, you know what, Michelle, you need to, you need to, you need to realize where you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how many white friends you, ha you have, like, that you know that that you date white boys, you are still a black woman in America, and 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 at any time can be subjected to racism, and that's what made me start to really turn around and be like, where where are these thoughts coming from? And I realized, oh, I've been absorbing those thoughts from the people around me. So just because you're black or brown does not mean that you can't have those biases in you. I they've they've been in me before. Um, I I had to unlearn and relearn. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant journey. It is. And thank you for sharing that. Um, to be so honest with yourself is not easy. That takes courage, right? And I hope that you sharing that gives us the same courage to, to reflect within ourselves and see where our racial bias is and where mm -hmm. our level of 
internalized racism sits at as well. And I'm sure that once we actually look deep beyond all of the fluff, we're going to find things that need to be worked on, right? Absolutely. So what is the role of white and brown people in, in anti-racism? We need your voices. We desperately, desperately need your voices in this fight. Um, we ask all of our people to educate themselves. Speak up in your everyday life. If you hear something, even if it's just a joke, um, interrupt that joke. You know, yep. when someone in this country gets killed because they're black, like Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, I mean, like, there's literally too many names to count. It doesn't happen overnight. Someone doesn't just wake up and say, I'm going to kill someone that's black or brown today. It doesn't happen that way. The way that it happens is they go unchecked. Their jokes go unchecked. Their little comments go unchecked over and over and over. No one interrupts them. No one, no one stops it. So every time they're doing that, it's reaffirming what they're saying is actually true. And it escalates and it escalates and it escalates. And then before you know it, they're hunting down people, they're, Literally, literally, Ahmaud Arbery was actually literally hunted down by three white men and shot in broad daylight as he was jogging. Because throughout their entire life, these men were never checked. They were never interrupted. In, well, maybe they were, and I, and I, I don't know, but it didn't happen enough. It mm -hmm. didn't happen. And so you need to educate yourself about what racism looks like today. Examine your, because when you examine your own biases, it's much easier to see it in other people. After I examined my biases, now, like, you know, I, you know, talking to someone, I'm like, oh, there's that bias. Cause I, cause I recognize it within myself now. Um, educate yourself, speak up in your everyday life, amplify the voices of people of color. And why that third one is so important is that it amplifies our voices and people will believe you, your circle, your circle of influence, the people that are around you are going to believe you before they believe me. Just like what happened with, with, with Melissa and I, people automatically believed her, but we believe if, if it had come from me, they would have questioned it. They would have said, well, is she just making this about race, this and that, the other. But when black, but when brown and white people can see it for what it is, it gets other people paying attention more. They go, oh, maybe there's, maybe this, there's actually some truth to this. So mm -hmm. educate yourself, speak up in your everyday life, and please, please amplify our stories. What's the difference between me saying I'm not a racist and being anti-racist? Saying that you're not racist does not mean that you are taking any action or steps to understand the system that you live in. Um, you don't understand your privilege. Um, you're basically just not really doing anything. You're just not doing racist acts outward racist acts. But the other issue with that is that if you just state that as a fact, that means that you're not examining where your blind spots might be. So it just means that you, um, you're you not trying to educate yourself. If you're, if you're actively anti-racist, mm -hmm. you are doing that internal work. You are addressing your biases. You are educating yourself about what systemic racism actually looks like. So you're watching documentaries like 13th, you're listening to podcasts like the scene on radio, seeing white podcast, you're reading books like um, white fragility or me and white supremacy. You know, you're, you're um, there's so many books out there. You're actually doing the work to educate yourself actively as opposed to just 
throwing your hands up and saying, I don't have any work to do because everybody has work to do. Thank you for clarifying that because I'm pretty sure that a lot of people who are listening and tuned in, they might be feeling that, well, you know, I'm not racist. Um, and it's it's important to know what what's needed of us right now. Um, there are a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions out there in the media. So um, one of the one of the comments that's come in is uh, somebody saying, what's the solution? Is it burning down buildings? Um, and that's what people are, are seeing because the media is projecting that to them, that the protests, they're turning violent and therefore that blame goes to the community that's fighting for this, which I personally don't agree with, but I would like you, if you could comment on that, please. People, it's very simple to understand. The protesters, the peaceful protesters, are protesting. The rioters are rioting. They are not the same people. They are not the same people. People do not understand that <laughs> people literally get paid to come into protests to yep. cause violence and to distract the public from what the protests are about. People get paid to do this. Anyone watching this, people get paid to do this to distract you. The person that said that burning down buildings, you have been distracted <laughs> by the media yep. saying that it's, it's not the protesters. Listen, I've been to protests. We have two interns right now that are that are literally right now on the ground in Philly at the protest. My my partner was at the protest in in L.A. She saw firsthand firsthand people that clearly are not part of the protest breaking things, doing things. They're not there to protest. They, right. they're, they're opportunists that come to destroy things, but you don't know who they are. You can't keep them out. You can't say, hey, what are you doing here? Are you here to peacefully protest? Are you here to, to, to you know, vandalize a car? Hmm. You, don't, you don't know that. You just need to, again, remember that there is an agenda here and they do not want us to unite. They do not want us coming together and that they will do everything they can to slow down this movement and make us look like insane people. The protesters are the protesters, the rioters are the rioters, and they're two completely different people with two completely different agendas. However, I will say this, I will say this. I don't really care if things get burned down. I don't care. You know why I don't care? Because to me, a piece of glass or a building has no weight against black and brown lives. Mm. Are we worried about buildings being destructed here? Or are we worried about innocent people being murdered in broad daylight for the world to see? Yeah. yeah. Also, also, I'm getting a little bit fired up. Also, go for it, man. Go for people, it. Black people, enslaved Africans and Native Americans that were native to this country built America. I don't think people think about that enough. White Americans, white Europeans went to Africa, bought and kidnapped African people, brought them back to America and said, build our country. And they did. So if a, so if a black community wants to burn down a building, I don't condone violence at all. I'm not a violent person. I don't condone it. But I don't care about property when, when we, when, when my brother can be shot tomorrow in the street because he's black. I don't care about your property. We have been asking for equality and for fair treatment for over 400 years and nothing works. When we 
when we um, protest peacefully, it doesn't work. When we when we kneel, they don't like that either. We try to you know get 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 policies changed. It takes forever to get policy. We have to demand our humanity. We have to demand that people see us as human beings. And if you are more worried about property and buildings, and you are worried about human lives, you need to check yourself, and you need to check your potential racial bias. Yeah. Period. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Period. Thank you so much for saying that. And to to everybody who's who's joining us today, um, I want to say how important everything that you've said is to us and how relevant it is, especially to the Sikh community, because with the injustices of 1984, the oppression that we experienced as a community, it's it's the same. You've just moved it to a different place. It's not okay, neither for 1984 to have happened and neither, neither for black people to be lynched in this day and age. Neither of them are okay, but it can only change when we stand together as people of all colors. And we're saying that this is not okay. And you're absolutely right. A building does not equate to the life of a human. And see, it's it's interesting because we're talking about you know brown people being racist. Can I call out? Can I call out one of the? There is someone in the comments that is racist. I don't think he realizes it. The um, surrender, Singh, Betty, Betty, whoever, um, talking about uh, uh, black on black crime. Again, this is why brown people also need to educate yourself about systemic racism and oppression because when you create systems in this country and when you oppress the people when you don't give them the same access to education to funding and resources to food healthcare jobs you create communities that have to survive they're trying to survive yeah. when you don't when you create uh, uh, i mean and, and compared to white communities that were structured to thrive. Mm. We live in two different Americas. Black people are not more violent than anybody else. Right. You go to Africa, Africa, that's why I said that they need to educate themselves too, because they look at black Americans, they're like, what's going on over there? We don't, we don't understand what's what's all the when you create a system of desperation and 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 survival, of course there's going to be violence. There's also environmental racism. We know that lead in water leads to violence. Since there's, oh my God, so many things in our water. Environmental racism is very, your, the, uh, even the food that you eat, all these things affect your brain, affect your, affect, um, your mood. Um, when you are constantly living in, 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 in oppression, you're going to be angry. I don't know if people realize that there's a movie on um, Amazon Prime called Crack freeway in the system. The CIA allowed crack to be funneled into black communities in the 1980s. Look it up. It is actually 1000% real so that they could justify this war on drugs and put massive amounts of black people in prisons to profit off of their bodies. This is real, a thousand percent real. So when you say things like black on black crime, you are exposing your ignorance uh, about not understanding how systemic oppression works. And you're also exposing your racial bias. And uh, rather than saying, well, what about black on black crime? Because there's brown on brown crime too. There's yes, white on white crime too. Mm -hmm. So what does that comment have to do with anything other than exposing your racial bias? I have no time for that anymore. Zero time. Thank you.
and I'm, I'm right there with you because it's the focal point is how we make this change. And there's, like you said, there's brown on brown crime. There's, you know, the Sikh community is not innocent to this. The Punjabi community, they, they do, there's similar things that go on. And we've experienced it in our land in India to see how the government funnels um, alcohol and intoxicants into one particular area to destroy a whole, yes. people, a whole race. And that's what is happening in Punjab. So for our people, it's disappointing for me that this is the voice that you're bringing forward now. We need to be united. We need this solidarity. We need to see that right now we have yeah. to stand together and call out what it is and stand where we need to be. We need to educate ourselves and know that there's so many struggles out there. And if we stand together and help each other's struggles, it means that we're stronger and we'll help, like, you know, you'll help me when I'm struggling, if I'm helping you when you're struggling, you know, that's how brotherhood and sisterhood works. Exactly. If anything happened to you, you know, it's interesting when I, w I graduated high school, I did my senior project on the Holocaust. I didn't need to be white or Jewish to see what was going on and say, oh my gosh, I have to talk about this. This is terrible. How could we, how could we allow this to happen? Mm -hmm. And I wonder where is that reciprocated empathy for us? Right. Where is it? But that's what Where we have to create. That's what we're responsible for now. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, this is like really, really moving lots of things inside me. Yeah. But um, you're amazing, Michelle. I need to I need to drop that in there. You're you're incredible and I love what you're doing. Um there's now a movement for defund the police. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um I, I myself need to do more, more, more educating on it, but um, the police gets a lot of resources and a lot of um, just a lot of money to mm -hmm. do what they do. Of police in this country, um, actually started out as slave patrol. People don't realize that. People don't know that. The they actually started out specifically their their role was to control the, the 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 slaves and the free black people and to protect the white community because that is yes that is in the documentary 13th on netflix if you watch it so because of that because that is in their dna of the police force that's what they're still doing and you're seeing it play out to, to this day in 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 2020 that isn't part of who they are and when when Africans were um, freed from slavery, they didn't change any of those laws. They didn't say, okay, police officers, now stop over-policing black people. It never stopped. So we wanna take those funds from these um, racist police forces and redirect them to other organizations on the ground that are really actually trying to help the community mm -hmm. and not at times terrorize them. Right. Right, which is, we, we would hope that the police should be there to protect and not to to cause pain and take lives. They should be there to protect lives. Right. Um, for me, I think what was important to um, establish there is that defund the police for those people that think that this movement is about shutting down the police and taking away police stations. That's not what it's about. It's saying reallocate the funds into the community where they can make a bigger difference and support the people who actually need that help. There's a lot of funding, government funding, um, in every state, in every country that goes to the police. 
um, and that money can be better spent at the moment, especially in light of the recent events. Yes, yes, definitely. Someone said um, for schools, after school programs, I mean, ha have been directed to the police. Yeah, it's insane. That's, I mean, <laughs> like, that's crazy to me that you would think that they would need more funding. I mean, if we have more education, if we have more resources for the people, we wouldn't even need as much as many police. Because hmm. you're gonna have you're gonna have a society of people who are educated, who are making money, and who don't need to do things in desperation to survive. Right. Right. Absolutely. If you help the people who need the help, then there's gonna be no need for the police force. So right. I guess it's in their best interest if they want to keep their jobs to keep people underprivileged. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. It makes money. It makes money. Our our prisons, our prisons in America are for profit. What? A lot of a, a majority of the prisons in America are actually private run prisons. So they're for profit. The prison the the the, the prison system makes billions of dollars. It makes billions of dollars. I I haven't um, what? For our, our prison system is mostly for profit. That's why, you know, a black guy can be in jail for 25 years for having two grams of weed on him. Because they're like, oh, and we're going to give you the max sentence. You're going to go to jail for the next 10 years for like this amount of weed. But a white kid with the same amount of weed will get six months probation. The profiting off of black bodies has never, has always been a thing in this country. It is, they're like, okay, if we can't enslave you anymore, we're going to find different ways. And they did, and it morphs, and it always looks different. We have to, we have to again, educate yourself to understand oh what these things look like. This makes me feel sick to my stomach. I, 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 I don't know what to say. As you can see, I'm just gobsmacked right now that there's so system could be a for-profit business what yep there are so many police officers who have been caught i don't know why they don't turn off their 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 body cams sometimes some of them have been caught planting drugs and planning things on people of color and it's and it's been on their body cam and then they can say, look, you have drugs on you. And the person's like, what are you talking about? I was actually in jury duty once. And a woman there was telling me that her case was dismissed because it came to light that a cop planted a gun on like a 16-year-old black kid in, in, um, in Philly. So with, somehow they proved it. And the case was, I mean, this, is, this has been going on. I mean, if, if you want to make money off of, off of these bodies and put them in jail, well, you know, and, and there's this also thing, this, uh, something called the... Um, um, the school to prison pipeline. Right now, inner city schools are allowing police to be inside the schools, like as if that's not going to be traumatizing to someone's psyche when they're trying to study. Um, and any minor thing that a child does, you can now then um, get him for like a misdemeanor if he fights on the on the on the playground or, or whatnot. He's labeled, you know, then he'll get a charge. Are and Mm -hmm. it's called this it's called the school to prison pipeline so you'll charge these kids at such a young age that when they get out yep when they graduate high school they do one little teeny itty bitty small thing like jaywalking or something stupid and they'll go to jail 
And now you have another person in the prison system to profit off of. Michelle, you've just freaking, I've literally just fallen off my chair because I can't believe that that's, that's real. I, what? A school to prison pipeline that literally just sets you up to fail. So your career path has been yeah. determined. You will become a prisoner at one point or another. Yes. Yep. Oh my God. This is why, I mean, we're like educate, 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 because it's like these things are happening all around us and especially in this country and people have no idea. Well, a lot of people know, but I would say more people don't know than do. Wow. Okay. I would like, I'm like, I, if, if, if for some reason I, my kid, I raise my children here, um, I'm homeschooling my kids. Uh, uh, until this country gets it together. <laughs> um, um, oh, well, I didn't even realize that um, someone said prisoners get paid one dollar for doing hard labor. Like, like, I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they use prisoners for things. They use prisoners for labor. Apparently, they were using prisoners to um, bury the de the the um, the people who passed from from COVID. They were using prisoners to bury these people, and then somehow people in prisons were getting COVID, and they weren't and. And um, there was something where they were supposed to have allowed nonviolent prisoners out of jail if they got COVID to try and help them. But there were many, 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 many people that died in prison from COVID. Many, 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 many. Um, because they use these prisoners for whatever they need, that, which is literally basically slavery. That's disgusting. There's, there's no other word for it. I'm, I'm so angry right now. Because this, this, this is so messed up. Mm -hmm. It's the system that we live in. And I didn't even know any of this until a couple years ago. That's why I say, I don't care who you are. You still need to educate yourself. I didn't know. And I'm black. I had no clue. I had no clue. I knew something was wrong. Something didn't make, like, when you look around, you know, and you see the black on black crime mm -hmm. and you see the ghettos and you see this. Anyone who is deep and anyone who is introspective um, is going to say to themselves, something's not right here. Mm -hmm. There has to be something going on here. It's and there is. It. Right. Right. And there is. It's called systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm... I, I, I don't know what to say, Michelle. That's, that shows how much work we have to do, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we need from the community now is we need allies. We need people to come forward who are going to re-educate themselves, who are going to use their voices, who are going to align with other organizations that are supporting Black Lives Matter so that we can get the justice that we need. And it is a we conversation. There is no right. separation. This affects all of us. And right. How how can we start to have conversations about race in, in our families, um, in our social circles, in our workspaces? How can we open up that space? Um, I think we should start by, like I said, I, I really think education is the first place so that when you do start to have these conversations, you have a little teeny bit of knowledge behind you. You know, I say, 
you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to war without a weapon. You wouldn't just show up on the front lines and be like, hey guys, I'm here. I never traded a day in my life, never worked out a day in my life and I'm here to, to help you fight. No, you wouldn't do that. So um, just start, someone someone wrote um, um, Just Mercy by, by, by Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson is brilliant. Um, I think it's also a documentary out called, called Just Mercy. There's so many resources, like I said. Um, and you can just start by asking the people around you, like, how do you feel about what's going on right now in the world? How do you feel about what's going on with, with Black Lives Matter? Just open up the conversation to get people to express their thoughts and their views um, and get people to start thinking about it and encourage people to educate educate themselves with you. You know, um, we're always giving out resources. Like I said, 13th is a huge one that really explains mass incarceration. Um, I, within the first 15 minutes, I had to pause it and just cry because I was like, where am I? <laughs> like, where am I? Um, and it also starts with, again, recognizing your own biases and being able to be vulnerable and share those things for other people to also feel vulnerable and share those things. We have to be honest and say, we have these thoughts, we have these feelings, let's get them out in the open. To me, it's like, it's almost like a virus. You know, you have to get it out of your body. You have to verbally speak it and get it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can start to heal together. And then we can start to, to, to relearn things. And, and um, um, yeah, we just have to do, we have to do this work together. And, oh gosh, <laughs> we, we need to do the work together. And I, I need you to come back on the show and just help us to understand so, so much more this is the beginning of of this sisterhood and allyship between yes. brown and black okay and it, it isn't about color because that shouldn't exist it's exactly. our collective fight mm-hmm. and i want you like i mean i didn't know about what happened in 1984 you just told me, told me that the other day so again it's like our the, the stories that we're seeing are being kept from each other on purpose yeah. so i want to know about what's going on in your community I do like tell me what to read, you know, tell, 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 tell me what to watch, what because it's, it's interesting. It's like, I know everything about the Holocaust and I love that. I know so much about it because now I have, I have even more Jewish friends. And I think that I would have had, I not understood like there's this alliance, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm meeting Jewish people all the time. It's so weird um, that I'm meeting them and we're just like becoming friends um, because I understood what had happened. And when you can, see someone struggle and, and empathize with them. That builds trust, it builds connection, it builds friendship, it builds real community when we can see each other, all of one another. So I still have more education to do about even what's, what's going on in my community and everybody else's community. And I wanna be able to be there for you, for your community, anyone else, and um, just practice what I preach. You're amazing, I love you for that, thank you. And I'm going to send you a ton of resources as well, like books yeah. and things. And there's a, there's a couple of documentaries out there. But a lot of the things that I'm recognizing as patterns as to how black voices are being silenced at the moment, I've seen that mirrored um, through what I've experienced of Sikh history. So when mm-hmm. Operation Blue Star, that's what happened in 1984, mm-hmm. um, the representation in the media was completely distorted and Sikhs were made terrorist we were a militant community and whenever anything comes forward in the media about Sikhs you'll notice that they attach it with the word militant Um, Mm -hmm. because as soon as you put that word next to anything 
or if you put the the word terrorist next to anything, white people run. Yep. Right? And then all of a sudden you are now, you're standing in the line of fire. You're no longer an ally. You're you're no longer on the us. You're the them. Yep. And that's how Sikhs have been treated in the in the worldwide media um, mm -hmm. for for since colonization. Yeah. Um, that's a truth. There's a lot that a lot of work that we need to do. And I'm I'm grateful for your openness to learn more about our struggles as well, because I am I'm, I'm there with you. This is what our gurus taught us. So today is actually um, a Gurpurb. Gurpurb is like a birthday for one of the 10 Sikh gurus, for the sixth Sikh guru, the master um, that we follow, that guides us to our wisdom and our spiritual greatness. The sixth guru, Guru Har Gobind, he brought in the concept of finding a balance between spiritual and materialistic, or you can call it worldly or political. So our alignment in how we operate as individuals in this balance of being spiritual and grounded and gentle and graceful and conscious, but at the same time, not being afraid to pick up arms when needed. That was a different era at that time. You know, the battlefield was real. Yes. It's still real now. It just has a different setup, a different staging. Um, so that, that concept of Miri and Piri was brought in by the Sikh master whose birthday the Sikh community is celebrating today. And everything that we're talking about for me aligns exactly with that, that we being peaceful and being passive are two different things. Yeah. And Sikhs are not a passive community. We were never meant to be passive. We mm -hmm. fought for the rights of others throughout our history. And we've waited. This is the, the pain of the communities that we've waited for others to align with us and have our voice heard out there in our pain. And for me, this is the beginning of that now where we align as two communities and we say that, you know, I hear you, I feel your pain. Let me stand with you through your pain. Let me help you get justice. And I know that in that moment when I need you, you'll be there. So absolutely. Allyship, that's what we need. Yep. Is there anything you want to add into how we can actually be more effective allies? Um, I think I covered everything. I, um, you know, just um, we need to believe each other's stories. Um, because the stories that you and I could share, you know, like to, to, to outsiders, it probably sounds insane, <laughs> right? Like, right. they're like, what? what do you mean? How could that possibly happen? Um, so just remember that, you know, our stories are very, very, very much intertwined and just believing each other, um, I think is the first step because we have too much of that from the outside world already not, not believing our stories. Um, believe our stories and just, like I said, just be actively anti-racist, um, learn each other's stories, hear each other, be there for one another. You would want someone to be there for you. It's you know that 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 old saying. It's it's you know treat others treat others the way that you be treated. I feel like it's said so many times. It almost kind of loses its weight. Um, mm -hmm. But truly do that, and um, let's just be on this path together. Right now, there's a shift of consciousness happening around the world, and I I feel it. I I literally feel it, and I'm super excited. I just want us to keep up that energy, keep up that energy, and realize that. 
we can literally create a new world together. That is not, right. an, we can do that because right. it's, it's already happening. Mm -hmm. It's happening. So keep up that energy. Please hold on to that hope. We can make a new world and let's be part of the revolution. Let's be part of the revolution, man. Let's, let's step into that front line, right? Oh my gosh, I've got goosebumps from what you've just said because I'm I'm so with you. I'm I'm feeling this in my body. And um, how can our viewers and listeners connect with your work? How can they, you know, get involved either through like donating, volunteering, supporting? Where can they where can they get more involved with your work, Michelle? So we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Priv to Prague. So it's P-R-I-V. T-O-P-R-O-G from privilege to progress. Um, and we just ask people very simple things. We, we give you resources. We ask that you check out the resources, read them, watch them, listen to them. We ask that you reshare our content to your network of people so that it spreads awareness and speak up in your everyday life. And we have a website also, which is www.fromprivilegetoprogress.org. Um, we have t-shirts, we have decals, you can even donate. Um, actually, I have a t-shirt, oh, where'd it go? It's not here, but we have a cute um, um, show up t-shirt. We're actually like, sold out right now. We need to, we need to order more um, and just be on the path with us, learn with us. So I, I want to repeat that for you, that please check out the Instagram page, Priv to Prog, right? Privilege yeah. to Progress and the website from Privilege to Progress. Get educated access these resources and please, please share these posts. Everybody around each one of us needs to re-educate themselves, including us individually, me too, right? Mm -hmm. So we all need to hold ourselves accountable and we've got access to resources that can help us to do that. We can claim ignorance when we don't know where to get the resources, right? And now we've just given you an amazing resource from privilege to progress. Please go and support this cause. It's going to help us all to amplify our voices. And, you know, share this with everybody that you know. Share this with your colleagues at work, with your family, your kids, your neighbors, everybody. Yes. And before we wrap up, what message would you like to share with everybody who's tuned in today? The first thing that comes to mind is just show up. That's our hashtag. Show up. Show up in your personal life. Show up in your daily life. Show up with your friends, your family, your loved ones. Um, just show up. Bring your full human, your full identity, your full self um, on display for everyone to, to be able to connect with. When we show up on a, as our full selves, that's where the magic happens. Hmm. Right now around the world are are doing things that they never would have done before, but they're finally showing up as their fullest selves with the fire that they have and with their conviction. And I'm seeing more people show up today than I've ever witnessed in my entire life. And I just have so much hope. So please keep showing up. Thank you, Michelle. And I'm calling out the whole of the Punjabi and the Sikh community. We all need to show up. This isn't a them problem. This isn't us problem. This affects each one of us. And from where we come from, that martial spirit that runs through our veins, that's given by the gurus, 
holds us accountable to support, protect, and seek justice for anybody who's being oppressed. Somebody put in a quote here, is manas ki jaat eke pechanbo. This is um, from the writing of the 10th Guru, Guru Gobind Singh, and it means recognize the whole human race as one. And this is in our, in our scriptures. These are the teachings that are passed to us from our masters. And this is who we are as a people. I, I want to see, I need to have faith in my community. I want to see you guys show up. If there are protests in your area, you find out and you show up. You go there, you raise your voice. This is about coming together, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, Michelle. I don't want to let you go. I am so, so deeply grateful for having you on the show today, that you are here today to educate us, to help us to understand more and to share your experiences as well. You are a gem of a human being. Thank you, love. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you. And I hope that you're going to be back here with us in this space of Core Voices again. Sure. And we can continue these conversations. Yes, after I've done more, more educating myself, I can come back with more information. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Michelle. God bless thank you. you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. <laughs>